0: Welcome to the Profitable Farmer podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder.
1: I feel like in every Profitable Farmer podcast, I say or suggest that this is a really important topic. But this one is a really important topic, especially at this time of year. Welcome, everyone. It's great having you involved in Profitable Farmer once again some of you may remember a podcast a few back on collaborative farming and thinking laterally about how we team up and collaborate around getting our business model scaled and um, and nailed in, in the current in industry climate. Um, I love that conversation with Jeff McDonald, and I'm delighted to ask Jeff to join us again on Profitable Pharma for a conversation around decision-making at tax time and making sure that we're not distracting ourselves away from our strategic plans um, with how we navigate some decisions at this time of year. So, Jeff, wonderful to have you with us again. Thanks for joining me. No worries, Hutch. Great to be here. Thank you. So Jeff, as you may remember, guys, is from RLS Agribusiness, and it's not easy to describe the breadth of the capability that RLS um, bring to the industry, but they are superstars in what they do. Um, Speaking to Jeff just then about how I frame up what RLS brings to our industry, he um, described it as facilitation. So helping facilitate and bring the right people together to help their clients make great decisions around strategy, around growth, and importantly, around finance. So, Jeff, just to kick off, I might get you to just give us some um, your spin on RLS, just so our listeners understand who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, thanks, Hutch. Um, as we said, it's sometimes hard to describe. In, in behind what we do is the core of finance. Um, but as you know from other podcasts and, and sessions we've done, a lot of that finance is actually about things like structure and, and, and ties into the bigger picture of succession and, and growth. Um, and the actual getting the money from a bank is the secondary, even sometimes a quite submissive part of what we do. So there's a lot of advice around that. Just um, believe it or not, finance is actually changing and getting harder and more difficult and the access to a, a free local manager is getting harder too. So that's the core of our business. But that's actually evolved into that word we use, facilitation, where um, so many of our conversations that often start with finance end up being about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And um, and then it brings in the entities they're using to do it and why they have trusts that own land and some, a lot of people don't understand and they've followed individual advice along the way. None of it not necessarily bad, but they're all individual and the hardest thing and I, I hammer people on this and i ask them when it comes to accountants or solicitors or anyone financial planners banks i ask them what questions they're asking that actually help themselves and they look me in the eye and they say well we don't know what to ask we and that therein lies the facilitation discussion yeah you know, like you do it farm Owners academy is you know when people start thinking for themselves how do they know how do they know if their accountant's being a tax agent only or an advisor how do they know what questions and how do they know if they're taking into account other things that's important to them? And that's what we do and um, is help them ask the right questions.
1: That's perfect, Jeff. Thank you. So just before we launch in to this topic, how important are the questions that we ask?
0: Oh, <laughs> immense. <laughs> um, what? Um, I, I try to not bring it into uh, brain drives, but at the end of the day, we're all good tasks and a task is a, a short hit, you know, we've got a job to do and it's a task and it might be drive down to the shop, it might be whatever. And so a lot of things that happen when you, when people talk to their professionals about business is it becomes a question and a task or they have a need and that thing gets answered in its singularity and the impact that that might have on something else. So a classic example is, you know, at some point an accountant might advise a farming family to start trading as a trust rather than a partnership. And there might be a lot of reasons around that, not just one. And they go into that, uh, but then when it comes down, are they setting up a trustee company or uh, just be individuals as trustees? Now, that can have an impact with succession later on. You know, it's a lot easier to change directors on a trustee company um, and it's a legal entity that sits between the people and the operation and a few things like that. But it costs money. There's another $1,000 to set up a company and the decision might have been made, oh, well, we'll pay less and just have trustees. None of it's right or wrong, but in their individual... Um, scenarios, they do impact on other things, especially
1: finance later on. A mentor of mine start, sort of always suggested to start with the highest perspective possible and work down yep. from there. And yep. I think often we're asking, because we're task-oriented, we're asking um, operational or tactical questions, and the bigger questions that we don't necessarily know the answer to, we hesitate to ask. Um, yep. Because asking them often then throws us into confusion because often the bigger questions we don't easily have access to the answers to. So I I love that frame of of, of when you've got a problem, first make sure that you're asking the best question that you can around the problem and then take yourself up to a higher perspective. And, you know, he also used to say that business is a game. And so I... Picture you might remember the dream world icon where there's that little kid fishing off the edge of the moon Have you yes. seen that yes. so yep. I, pre- I pretend that that's me and i sit up there with my fishing rod looking down on the problem and think well what's what's the what are some of the childlike highest level questions that i can ask of this problem and then i try and come at those problems be them strategic or management or leadership or whatever from that perspective, um, would you comment on that? You, I noticed that what you do is, is people come to you with a question or a problem, but you're wonderful at helping them lay, lift up above, get the helicopter view, and ask a better question. What's your comment to that,
0: That's it, and I I do it automatically. But I um, I'm aware that um, often I ask I answer a question with a question, and I continue to do that, and I'm trying to take the bigger picture and trying to get the person to see the bigger picture to impact on the decision I I have a couple of tactics I do deliberately and i tell you what some of my clients get a bit testy with me um one of my sayings always is we need to look at it from the top down not the bottom up and the other one that's simpler is I, I sometimes on the whiteboard I'll write a I'll draw it like a thermometer and I'll write a scale of one to ten with one being the top and the biggest picture, and and what I say to people is that's the whole of life. That's your succession. That's your family. That's your entire, you know, generational farming family, and everything you do in there has to, you know, everything you do underneath that has to fit and meet that those drivers and that, that core charter. So then I say a number ten example is what's the rate on a finance deal, and my question is, well, can we move to number nine, up one step, and turn around and say what's the cost? And then let's go to the next level and say, what's the overall cost of buying this piece of equipment, you know, with trade and everything? What are you using it for? What's the value you're going to get out of it over your farm? And, you know, and so on and so on. of course, people that get tested said, just answer my question, will you? (laughs) And, and of course, I end up saying the old adage of saying, well, is it a home loan at 2% or is it a credit card at 20%? You know, what's the rate? What's the cost? What's, you know, it's all relevant to this bigger picture and working its way down. And the cost will be relevant to the right product for the right um, item and so on and so on and, and it fits into the bigger picture so that's and I frustrate people you know people sometimes just want to quote a bit of machinery yeah you know, and I'm trying to have these conversations so I need to get them to talk to someone else <laughs> um, so that's that's my way of trying to um, bring in the big picture and everything we talk about
1: you do it so well Jeff thank you for your comments <laughs> on that thank you <laughs> so just two There's two parts to the conversation that I'd love to have with you, Jeff. One is around tax planning um, and the dangers that can come with decision making at this time of year as we move toward 30 June. The second one is what are our banks expecting from us by way of high quality analysis and reporting um, so that we can influence better outcomes with our financiers? And then in the third part to this podcast, I'm really excited to introduce two of our members who've been through our Farm Financial Framework training, and just to speak to them about where they were around these topics, around financial literacy, where they are now, and the impact that that Farm Financial Framework program has had on their confidence and their business and how they're turning up now to their accountants and their banks. So, um, as I say, I'm excited about this conversation, especially at this time. So, Jeff, um, you're right that we crack on? Absolutely. Excellent. So, to kick this off, we had our tax planning meeting yesterday with our accountant, Jane and I. And when I reflect on what happened, we looked at our results for this financial year that we predict we will achieve. And then the whole conversation was around how we can minimise tax. (laughs) And in that conversation, obviously, our self-managed super fund, um, other investments, but all of a sudden I found myself in that mindset of um, what can I spend money on for stuff that I probably don't need that can help me reduce my tax bill? Um, When I reflect, I find it so interesting how that's where the conversation went. And I guess what I'd love to speak to you about, Jeff, is um, what can we get wrong at this time of year if we're focusing only on minimising tax?
0: My question to you, straight up is, um, do you have the cash and do you have the money to be able to do all these things? And if you use that money to that, you know, you've got no money. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, here's and I'll, I'm pretty brutal on this, Hutch. As you know, um, the words I use, and, and I'll run through some tactics that you talked about. You can put money over into superannuation to a level. Um, you can uh, do farm management deposits um, if you're eligible in your business structure. Um, some you can right at the moment with 100% claim on depreciation. You can buy a piece of equipment and claim it all. Um, on we go with all these tactics, every single one of them takes money, but the more importantly, every single one of them is deferring tax. It's not, so you use the word tax minimization. You are deferring tax. All of those things defer tax. Um, some people might delay the collection of their income and push that out the other side of June. Others might load up on chem and third or different things now to load up their expenses. Um, all good, except you're deferring it. Because, of course, if you're bringing forward expenses and pushing out income, next year is going to be a mess. So why defer it? Now, farmers might say to me, as a a la FMDs, oh, well, we'll bring it back if we have a bad year. I defy most people to actually have a poor year and then go and bring back their FMDs. They just don't do it. And I'll talk about FMDs more in a minute. So... What i say to you, so just just if you don't mind, as an ex- explanation on this. You, you buy a piece of equipment, you claim the depreciation. You use a piece of equipment. Nothing wrong with that. And if you finance it correctly on equipment finance, you're not chewing up your cash. But if you do an FMD or if you do something else that takes cash, keep in mind you're only saving a percentage of that on tax. So if we just use a ballpark 25% tax rate on everything that you do, if you had $100,000 profit, um, And you put 100,000 into FMDs, that takes up the 100,000 and you'll save 25 in tax, roughly. If you don't put that into FMDs and you pay 25 in tax, you have $75,000 to spend or you have nothing. So, what I see is people that make it gets down to these number nine and 10 on my list down the bottom end of I have an opportunity in the next two weeks to do some things to minimize my tax, so I'd rather not pay the tax. And, of course, the bigger picture question is what is the implication on that later? How much cash does that take out of your overdraft and will you still have enough room in September, October before you take your crop off? Um, if you end up paying cash for capex, you know, where does that come from? Even if you do the equipment finance on it, you've then got to pay the equipment finance. So is a decision based off the back of deferring tax? That's the question. Now, not having a crack at accounts um, because, as as we talk about, they're they're doing their job they're actually, and this is what we talked about earlier on, they're doing their job, they're advising the person, here's a decision and here's some options you've got around minimising tax. Of course, my word is deferring tax. What is the bigger picture of that? What are the other finances in place to be able to allow that to happen? You know, what's the plan with FMDs if you put them in? Do you take them out later? And yeah, you know, I could again, I'll put it in your hands, actually, I can talk about this accelerated depreciation. What happens when that stops? And what's the impact on cash when that stops? So, bit like our economy at sometimes we dig a bit of a hole we do all these short-term fixes and it just escalates and a lot of businesses I talk to farmers they don't have the bad year because they're making good decisions and at the end of the day they don't ever bring things back in and it catches up with them and they're not chasing their tail and then you know trying to do more the following year so hmm. probably my summary I'm just sharing those dot points um, but the summary of all this is a overarching assessment around tax time now as to the decisions you make and the impact that that will bring next tax year if you do deferrals or what the plan is. If you do FMDs or anything like that, what is the plan? When do you bring them out? You know, do you bring them out at a lower tax rate? Do you ever bring them out? And, of course, they're only allowed to be there as long as you're a primary producer. So, you know, people are getting on in age. When do they retire and can they retire? And then they end up peeling them out and sometimes pay a lot more tax than they're saving right now. I don't know if that's a good answer for you there, Hutch. It's all over the place, but, um, yeah, it is what I see this time of year every day.
1: I totally agree. So just as an example, if I allocate to super and I go and pay cash for a tractor so I can get instant asset write-off and I allocate to FMDs, what impact can that have on my ability strategically to reinvest back into better things in my business
0: yeah (laughs) but it all takes money doesn't it it all you're you're using your borrowing power to buy the piece of machinery or cash either way you're certainly using cash to put in fmd and then it's off and you know again i can pick on fmds the cows come on because they don't they don't achieve what they were set out to achieve people don't use them for what they were for um people see them as off-farm investments and Even when people write them, sometimes when they do their assets and liability statement and they write down that they've got 500 grand in FMDs, I sarcastically say, oh, so you got about 350 when you pay the tax on it, when you bring them back. Um, And maybe we should show the tax liability against them because that's what it is. It was a tax deferral and they have to be brought back while you're still farming. So at the end of the day, they're not an off-farm investment. They're just a way of averaging, really. As mm. partnerships used to do, where you know your, your high years, your low years, and so if you don't have a strategy to bring them back, and psychologically you, you start thinking they're term deposits, and they're sitting out there, and it causes people a lot of grief when they do try and retire or succession or get sick, all these things, and as I've seen, you know they're saving sometimes saving only fifteen to twenty cents in the dollar, and end up mm. paying at forty because they they ha- but then it's okay because they had to bring them out something they got unlucky.
1: <laughs> so Jeff, do you see people? making those decisions at tax time to minimise tax and then short on cash flow later on in the season or the following season and having to go to the bank to extend their overdraft?
0: Yep. Can't use the f as security either, um, you know, for their facility. Um, what are they paying? What are they earning? you know, if they're paying 5% on their increased overdraft and they're earning 0.1% on their FMD, you know, we, we can go on forever about what the idea is. The, the concept of it was to have a big year, put FMDs in, have a down year, bring them back. Don't pay tax at high 30s rate and wait for a year that you bring them back. Um, In the, call it the uh, major drought through New South Wales in particular, 08, 09, 10, through that period, and there were a lot of fmds held and there were stats done on fmds being accessed through that really tough period and you know as you would know some of the farm owners members would be the same where you know they couldn't they had no feed they couldn't put a crop on the destock. stock it was only and the banks were just sitting there hanging on and there was a lot of fmds and more than 90 percent of them wasn't weren't touched
2: what, what was, was
0: that? psychologically again you know, the whole point was to put them in there to pull out when they needed them. But psychologically, no, that's not farm investment. i will um, put that away. I've taken that out of a good year and i put that away, and it's not what it is. If you actually pay the tax on it and put it in a term deposit in your own names, yeah, absolutely. Choose not to put it in and leave it off the farm. No worries. It'll go and buy an investment place or whatever else. But psychologically, the, the people see it as something. I, I've talked to a lot of people that have FMDs, and I say, hey, why don't you bring them back in? Right now, when you've got accelerated depreciation and you're actually turning a 500 grand profit into a 400 grand loss, perfect opportunity to bring 400 grand FNDs and pay zero tax on it and get access to that cash and pay off debt or buy the neighbor's property or do something smart and investment with it right now. Oh, no, no, no. We don't touch FNDs. We're there to build them up. We want to get the maximum. Why? (laughs) I, I just, it's... People see FMDs as similar to super, and as you said, one of your examples there, super, that's got 15 cents payable on it. So if you're saving 20 cents to pay 15 cents and tying up the cash, you know, really, let's have a look at the, <laughs> the effect. So there's, and, and, of course, don't quote me on tax advice here. It, it, this is a conceptually around the right questions to go back to the account, but more importantly, to make yourself in the overall picture of your overall business as to how you best use cash. I don't know if that answered your question.
1: Absolutely, it does. And just to extend that, if people are using FMDs as you propose to to put something aside in a good year to then pull it out the following year in a tight year, for example, is it a valuable tool if used that way?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What And again, this is general advice in nature. Um, For many years, a lot of people operated as partnerships and they had averaging. So you would average the last five years... And pay tax on the average. So become a rolling average. And so, and and what tends to happen in irrigation is that things tend to roll on on uh, on gentle slopes up and down. So when, you know, an averaging scenario like that, and especially the dry down farmers when they can be all over the place, it's nice to be able to average. These days, a lot of accounting advice and structure advice around families and bigger operations bring in trusts and bring in um, companies and other entities to do different things for specific reasons, you know, protection, liability protection, as well as tax and a number of other things. So the averaging is lost, when I mean, not as a partnership. So therefore, the ability to average, use fnds to average, that's what it's for, to average. Um, that's why they're allowed as a tax deduction in legislation in the first place is if you have a big year and you're, you're pushing right up into those tax brackets, then at individual level, individual people level, you can turn around and, and park in the FMDs, and then obviously you have a bad year. It doesn't even matter. The thing I say, make a decision on the tax rate you would pay on that extra money. So, Hutch, if you were making $500,000 uh, at 30th of June, you might want to do FMDs for $200,000, as an example, to bring it down to three hundred, dollars And what you save on that might be the equivalent of $0.35 cents in the dollar. When you have a year where you only made 100000 Look at bringing them out, and if your tax rate on that is 22 cents, then have a look at that difference. That's what you've achieved. You've got 35 down to 22. You save 13 cents in the dollar. You are going to pay tax on it. What you don't want is to be forced to take them out because you're ceasing to be a prime producer later in life and be forced to take them out off the back of a good year. You know, what have you done? (laughs) Now, only argument in there, um, which I I do hear, is... I remember an accountant saying to me once, and you know, I do hear this 100% that if someone does FMDs today and doesn't pay the tax, even though that tax that cash, they would lose that money and pay it later. How valuable is that money? Well, my answer to that, and it does make sense, you know, do something rather than do nothing. But at the same time, if it sits in FND, you spend a hell of a lot more cash putting in an in and, and sitting there. So my argument would be have a plan. Even down to, if I dare say without digressing, a lot of people look to an investment property and whether it's um, you know, in the city or away or whatever. And I turn around and say, if it's a true investment property with tenants paying, there still should be a plan. Most people do it when they're younger to try and build some equity over time, that, everything else. Yep, no problem. But the plan was always to sell it. So when we actually get 20 years down the track and someone says, oh, I don't know if it's still serving me, my question straight away, well, what was the plan? And the answer is always, well, we didn't have a plan, but now that we build equity in it, which is great, best thing we ever did. Right, do you want the equity? How can that serve you now? And if it's not necessarily in that, take it out. The plan was always to sell it and get the capital gain out of it. And by the way, let's work on your capital gain stats and uh, so on and so on. So these are the aspects that people do things without the bigger picture and without the plan. And my question is, how does it fit your plan? And what I'll just give a final comment there, Hutch, on this. Only, let's call it 10% of finance and tax decisions or whatever is made around ag so the rest of the world don't have access to fmds as a scenario i don't have access to fmds i'm a business so that brings me a freedom and i love the freedom and every time i'm talking to a farmer about all these decisions i have to make have to make to minimize tax i sit there and go wow i'm free if i made 100 grand i got to pay 25 grand tax but i got 75 grand to spend how does that and i haven't got anything hanging over my head for a liability in the future. And so I use that 75 and I go and make an investment decision. I hope to turn it into something, you know, bigger and better over time, because I'm free to do that. But if I was a farmer, I might go and make 100 in FNDs, and i got nothing. All i got is a liability
1: in the future, so. So, so to your point, outside of agriculture, um, professional service firms and successful companies are quite comfortable paying tax. Absolutely, in fact. You see that it's different, that that mindset is yeah. different in agriculture?
0: Absolutely. Oh, it's chalk and cheese. And i even go a step further here, dangerous territory. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is one of the concerns of banks, is um, businesses that don't have those options and don't see um, minimising tax as a successful way or you know, an achievement, they're actually out there to make as much money as they can. They don't want to pay more tax than they have to, but they pay tax and then they reinvest. And you know, in our business, we've We've got no physical assets. We haven't got no. We have got land. We haven't got anything else. And so we need to make money. If we don't make money, then my wife won't let me mortgage the house to throw money at it. So we need to make money. We need to pay wages to our staff and offer a service, all of these sorts of things. So we're going to pay tax. And we'll set ourselves up in a way that we might keep it to the lowest level we can legally. And that's it. We pay it and we move on. And when you drill down, we're talking about business owners outside of ag. Let's turn around to the rest of the workforce who earn wages. They pay tax. They don't even see the money. It's not, It doesn't hurt them to turn around and go and give it away at the end of the year or even pay as you go on the way through. They get it deducted. So all of a sudden we, over the years, I like I said, dangerous territory, but because we've continually brought in tax law and other things to support our prime producers because they grow the food and feed the world and they're special, and I, I do mean that, um, that I spend my life with prime producers, but all of a sudden we're creating arguably the wrong behaviours. We're creating the behaviours of how do we pay the least amount of tax? Now, the answer to that is make the least amount of profit. What is the impact of making the least amount of profit? Or we do other things, like we make the profit and then we get the deductions to do other things. So do we buy machinery unnecessary? Do we do FMDs and load them up and show up all our cash? What does that do on our finances? You know, And we're in, a, in an ugly world rather than a capital gains world that we've been having. What does that do to our equity? And how are we impacting on that? And are we impacting on our borrowing ability? And it starts with those single decisions, as we all would do when the accountant says, hey, do this, and they've got the money in the bank, do this, and you don't have to pay that much tax. Wow. How good is (laughs) that? So I'm sorry for the philosophical approach to that, but those businesses and people that don't have the choices that farmers have, I believe, end up making Stronger financial decisions in their business about how they go about it than what some farmers do because they're not given the opportunity and attracted to do those minimization tactics.
1: Thanks, Jeff. I think I think this is such an important topic. So, to those listening, what is your mindset around paying tax? Is it healthy or is it other than that? Um, is it okay for you to pay tax now? and enjoy the 75 cents, 70 cents in the dollar left over to keep free for growth and investing in the next strategy for your business. Um, And just be careful with some of those immediate decisions that we need to make this year um, because they can constrain your cash strength and limit your ability to grow. So I think Jeff, you've just nailed that um, in how you've responded and I just I just want to err without being ad- tax advisors or accountants, just err that word of word of caution. Just around this conversation out, um, I believe that there's two types of accountants. and again, not having a crack at any of them because most of them do a good job at what we ask them to do. But there are two types of accountants. There's the statistician and there's the navigator. And so if you think about it, if I'm in a rally car flying down the highway of life in a race, the statistician, when I get to the end of the race, the end of the financial year, it's their job to tell me how I went. And then it's their job to make sure that I comply and that, to your point, that I pay only the amount of tax that legally I'm required to but they're tax accountants and then there are management accountants and they're few and far between, but I think management accountants are navigators. And so in that rally car, they're the guys sitting beside me looking out the front windscreen with me, telling me that there's a turn to the left in 300 meters that I need to hit it at 80 kilometers an hour. Um, and then after that, there's an S bend. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is if we've employed tax accountants to help us comply and manage our tax, we've just got to be respectful that that is all we should be asking them to do. And we shouldn't expect a tax accountant to be our navigator. Um, With that, careful how much um, advice we take from our tax accountants because they haven't run farms, they haven't run your business, they might not know your strategy. And so absolutely take their advice on what they're there to do and what they specialise in, which is complying and minimising tax, or sorry, managing tax, Jeff, to your point. But if that's their capability, we've got to surround ourselves with a whole host of other advisors like Jeff like Tony Cat in my last podcast, like Greg Johnson around benchmarking and a whole range of specialist advisors who can make sure that the decisions we're making around growing our business are strong and thoughtful and based on really strong questions. Jeff, that's my rant. Would you comment?
0: Uh, yes, I agree. Your Your rally car and that course is your life. Your navigator is your strategist your navigator has already studied the course. Your navigator not just knows to tell you when to turn left, he also knows the next three bends ahead of time. You can't be thinking about that because you're doing 80Ks and you've got to turn left quick. So therein is your advisor and facilitator. So when someone when someone else jumps in and says to you, hey, you need to go faster through this corner, well, hang on a minute, we need to see how this fits. I've got to complete the course. So the question, what the, the, the thing that I can hear a lot of your listeners uh, grapple with is how do they know if their accountant's giving them just tax advice or overall advice or whatever? And and this is where I get really harsh again. And I say, well, it's your business, Mr. Farmer. It's your decisions. It's your life. It's your plan. What is your plan? Have you got a plan? Um, have you got succession in mind or how, or are you just winging it? Because if you're just winging it on a day-by-day, year-by-year basis, you'll minimise tax at this time of year and you'll worry about everything else later and then you'll go and find people to help solve your problems. Or you can plan it and you can be proactive and you can get ahead of time and you say, what is the impact? And it gets down to the questions you ask of your accountant because it is your business and they're doing their job. And I shared an email with, with Hutch the other day where the accountant said, do this and save this in tax. It was perfect tax advice. And I went back because I was copied in, the client was copied in. I went back and said, here's the bigger picture of these decisions, Mr. Client, and highlighted the impacts of all these. He was going to spend all his money on minimising the tax and uh, or he had that option the accountant was wrapped absolutely wrapped he was acting as a tax accountant but he was so enthused that someone was helping advise that it's not just I don't want the obligation and the ramifications of someone coming to him six months later and saying you told me to do this no they give you an option you've got to actually work out what suits your family best there's my summary hutch
1: perfect Jeff and so just to round this out I'm very clear on what I need to expect from my tax accountant in yesterday's tax planning meeting. Um, And there was no real input to refining our business's performance, strategizing, crash testing our long-term plan. Um, It was purely a tax planning conversation. Um, I need to be careful expecting more from my accountant than that.
0: That's right. And you're absolutely right. And this is a point, I want to make this very strongly. Accountants are highly specialised and highly skilled and they even give that advice around tax. You think of the range, they don't just deal with farmers, you think of the range of the people they have to deal with and the knowledge they need to have across so many things. They are highly skilled, but they are not responsible for making business decisions for you and your business. Um, if you want them to be and you engage them to facilitate and help advise, then absolutely. That's what their contract do. Otherwise, their job is to advise on tax. So it's actually our expectations on accountants where the problems come from and and offer bygone era. It's not actually the accountants are the
1: problem at all. They're doing a great job. Absolutely. It's easy to blame our accountants. Um, <laughs> but it's actually, as you perfectly say, it's our expectations of them that might be the problem. Mm. Yeah. So just the next part to this conversation, Jeff, if it's okay, is... At the end of the financial year, we also often just flick our financial reports off to our bank and they use that to make a whole lot of decisions around our credit worthiness, our serviceability strength, our um, the strength of our balance sheet. Um, is there anything wrong with that and what else should we be doing to make sure that beyond just sending through our financial statements, that we're actually presenting a case um, and a well-rounded strategic plan and a whole host of other things in support of those financial statements to influence a stronger outcome with our banks.
0: One thing I'll touch on just quickly is everything we've just spoken about with tax and and you know deferrals, not minimization, um, all of those things and how they can impact. Keep in mind the good the good news is if you put money into super, it shows. And the banks will understand often that that's a voluntary decision. So it doesn't um, degrade your ability to service a debt from those financials. If you put money in FMDs, it's the same. It's actually in personal names. And therefore, it still sits in your financials as part of the profit before you do that. And if you have depreciation claims, it's noticeable and can see. So banks do a calculation where they add back depreciation interest and they take off debt servicing. So if you've lost all your profit because you've got massive depreciation because you took the opportunity to claim everything, the banks will add it back on. So they're all clear and transparent so they don't they're not necessarily a direct effect on a bank's judgment on what debt you can service. The thing that's not clear is deferring income and bringing forward expenses. you know if you've if you've got a 200 grand foot um, expense already and you add another 50 onto that and, and go and stock up, you can't tell what was the choice by the bank. So they will assume that's just standard trading. So keep that in mind as to what can be clearly seen as a tax minimization strategy or deferral strategy versus what is playing the numbers to potentially get a lower profit. So then I swing over in in an overarching nutshell The last three to four, even five years in banking have been a phenomenal change. A lot of people aren't aware of, and we still get a lot of people refer to equity as the backbone. And uh, especially when people have had equity gains in the last few years off capital gains, you know, they sit there. We often talk about LVR, loan to valuation ratio, you know, 40% overall equity, uh, someone sitting at 85% equity, a strong position. And that's all true. And it's all important, you know, uh, uh, to know that there's a strong base. But through the Royal Commission and APRA, who's the governing body over banks, there is a clear definition, and I, I want to try and explain this as clear as I can. It's called responsible lending, and it's already impacted in the last 10 years ago on home loans and any consumer lending, and it's coming in stronger on business lending, including ag. And the definition of responsible lending is my definition is so simple a client and applicant must demonstrate that they can repay the debt over the appropriate term in principal and interest from their cash flow, from their business operations, the equity is irrelevant. If they had $10 million worth of farming land and they only want to borrow 200,000, if they can't pay that debt, the bank can't lend to them. All that equity means nothing because if they can't demonstrate repayment, they're effectively saying that they're going to lend to them and get their money back by selling them up. And that's deemed irresponsible by the law. So banks are getting their files audited every day by APRA. And the banks are constrained. They, they, they have their policies that determine repayment ability, but it's all about this repayment ability. So, 90% of the world, pretty simple. Last three years financials, sometimes five, but mostly three years financials. What's the profit? What's the numbers? Can they service debt? Someone argues and says, Oh, yeah, but I've had an uplift, I'm not interested. That's your benchmark. 10% is ag, and this is where the problem comes. And this is where the problem's getting, you know, it is getting harder as time goes on because the very first thing we talk about is, oh, you had two years of drought in those three years, so your average looks pretty ordinary. We can't demonstrate debt servicing off your historicals. So the difference there, so the first thing you would want to do is try and have those historical financials as strong as you can. So to go and lower your profit, you're actually impacting on their assessment criteria. The next part of that to then move, so that's the tax bit of it, to then move on in ag, the extra ability then is to turn around and I use the term year in, year out because a couple of the banks use that and they turn around and say, okay, we understand, Jeff, you know, this line application, we understand you've had good year, bad year, all these things. We understand all that was at 250 a ton and we're now talking 500 a ton for wheat or barley or whatever, livestock prices. We also understand that your inputs are through the roof. You know, your you fertiliser bill in those historical financials, you're paying double that now. So... They have an obligation, especially when you're borrowing over a million and you're doing an annual review or buying land of the bigger picture stuff. They have a not just an obligation; they have a legal requirement to assess that thoroughly. So this is where you get back to your point, and this is the importance of your financial literacy program. What are the farmers presenting? So what we have then is what are the yields, and and you know this is there's so many traps and all this. So cash flows, not just the next twelve months cash flow. But a full twelve because the immediate cash flow often has other things happen that are just sort of one-offs. The year in year out is a definition that if you're cropping two thousand acres and running five hundred use, what is a year in year out? What is the value of the? What's the average yield off the rainfall in your area? What are, and these arguments need to be made in this year in year out to support the cash flow. Um, so what is the average yield? What is the what price are we using? we might not use five hundred. might use. Them. We might discount the current cost of fertiliser down to a uh, a lower average. And they're the arguments that need to be made to say in a future, you know, next five years, what is going to be the average of these commodity prices, the average the average inputs, and show me the money you're going to make. And they have to be accepted. So this is where the skill set comes back to the banks in agribusiness. We have to have the people in the banks to then have the skill set to understand that for different areas. You see why ag's hard yeah. <laughs> for banks. Um, because you've got all these different areas. And, you know, the last year, last year, last cropping year was really good for most of Australia and we were horrible in our area. Um, so where are, you, where are you lending? And, you know, some of these lenders are looking at it and saying, hey, what went wrong? You know, they, they think we had a good year too. So the presentation of all this information, the supporting evidence on yields. So one of the best things we can do for a client when we're putting a loan application in, especially with cropping, five years. Five years, just simple cropping summary. Area cropped, yield, um, and then if you've got the data, rainfall, growing season, rainfall in there as well. Yield, uh, total tonnes, price per tonne, total income. And then we get this mix and match where you have a high yield, low low price, you know, all these sorts of things. But it becomes the backbone. That is the history of what they've done. And a lot of farmers have that data. And those that don't in a system already We'd set up a spreadsheet, you know, and just load it in. And then we start keeping records as long as we can, up to 10, 15 years, including these rainfall records. So then when we talk about an area average, you know, I get so frustrated that people turn around and say, you should be yielding at 2.5 tonne per hectare every year there because you're on 450 mil rainfall. Actually, what are you looking at here? Oh, sorry, I went to Bordertown. That's only 300 k south where it rains. Um, you know, and what areas are they taking? They go and get GRDC data and so on and so on. So presenting that whole lot is what's
1: important. So we need to submit our financial reports because yes. they're, they're audited documents. That's right. What, what I'm hearing, Jeff, is that we need to provide the evidence that explains our performance in history and then have that... Link to an individual definition of a year and year in, year out um, snapshot for our business based on reasonable assumptions. That's it. And then a cash flow forecast and you know, a twelve month budget. Do you do you suggest that once we've got that year in, year out, that we do give our banks more than twelve month? budgets ahead of time is it worthwhile going yep. out three five even ten years to demonstrate that serviceability that you mentioned
0: absolutely as long as it does demonstrate it because <laughs> they call it the rude shock and this is this is where I love the conversation we have with our farming clients and we talk about the, we're looking at the historicals prices, yields and everything, and we're, and we're doing a budget for this year and, you know, we've had great opening rains or we haven't, you know, and that impacts on this year's budget. It's the following year, that year in, year out. So what my conversation, what is the wheat price going to be on average over the next five years, Mr Farmer? And I'll let them tell me. And then the banks will accept their number. So if they tell me, oh, it's never going to be below 500 again, you know, okay, that's your belief. We can put that in. A banker will discount that. But they roll out and say, you know, if they're going to say that, then I would argue that, or well, you could say the same for FERT. And we hope that Fert, <laughs> FERT comes back a bit. So at the end of the day, we've got to look at this, this balance. And then we've got to argue and get the bank to accept it. So how do we argue that? How do we, and, and what I, the, the key message I want to say, and this isn't to be rude to bank managers, but they're not paid to actually put together the application for the customer they're not paid to make the arguments it's actually our job the more successful you'll be and the easier the process will be to obtain finances the more work you do and the better presentation you put to the banks and that that is information in an easy and understandable format because we've got to get it when you think of what the banks do when it hits their credit department it gets judged that's the simple as that it gets judged so wouldn't you rather have presented the best case you know if you're on trial or something you want the best case presented before Now, you don't want to go and hit that and leave gaping holes in it and rely on a manager to go and put in what they know when they're covering the whole state or something like that, you know, and it's not their job either. So this gets back to, at the end of the day, same as the discussion around tax and accounting, what are you asking for and how are you making the decision that, one, you can afford it and how are you proving that? What are you doing for that? Because it's important. I
1: take your point. I think our relationship managers take what we provide them, tweak it a bit, and send it up the chain to credit. And ultimately, it's credit in Sydney that's making the decisions around how they rate you and what they will lend you and what the price of that will be and whether they'll back you or not. And so I think we've got a responsibility as the CEOs to our business to make sure that we're loading our relationship manager's gun so when they send our file up the food chain, that we're giving them everything they need to make really robust, meaningful decisions. So I think as, as the CFOs and the CEOs to our farm businesses, we've got a real responsibility there to influence, and we've got a real ability to influence better outcomes with our bank. Do you agree? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you can see, all of that description around historical financials, which, as you rightly said, they're audited documents, they're legal documents, they've been accepted, they've done under a legislation so they're right they're correct and of course as i say the only reason they're not theoretically 100 correct is when people do deferrals around income and expenses and you can't go and argue that it's like the old corner shop doing cashies you know at the end of the day if they're taking cash out of the till well, you can't go back to a bank and say oh yeah but i make more money than that you know if you haven't got enough profit but the key message there is the complexity of getting a bank to understand your repayment ability, because it works in reverse. I've seen people with three really solid years of financials. Keeping in mind, at this time of the year, your financials hutch, well, I talk about my area here, actually reflects the 2021 growing season. And you're already into 20 um, here. So so we talk about the ones you're doing now, and by the time they're done and the bank gets hold of them, they're often 18 months old. You might have had a drought. And the financials are all good for the last three years, but you're desperately needing money because you just had a hit and it hasn't shown up yet. And the banks aren't stupid. They know this and they want to know that information, you good, bad, and otherwise. So this record keeping to start with, but then the presentation is what it all comes down to. It's all about showing the bank you can repay that debt over the appropriate term, which is why it's important to do your finance correctly over appropriate terms because what you do on one thing might impact on something else. Then we turn around and only after that we look at equity and security and so on and so on.
1: Jeff, two questions for you. How much narrative, how much commentary would you have us or do you help your farmers put around the numbers, the assumptions and the projections so that the bank gets that meat on the bone, if you like? And secondly, how important is it that the bank sees that you as the owner to your farm understand the key financial ratios? Um, You mentioned LVR before, um, profit percentages, gross margin percentages, serviceability ratios, resilience scores, solvency, liquidity ratios, those things. How important is it that the bank, when they read your report, sees you as the client presenting those ratios to them, how much confidence can that give the bank if you're presenting that to them rather than them having to work those numbers out for you?
0: Yep. Um, Absolutely not. This is where we get down to people pay back debt. Um, I, I use an example. If we have a bad run of weather or droughts or commodity prices, some will be sold up some people, some will struggle and some will get through, you know, while they're not necessarily making money, they'll get through fine. Why? And what are they doing on farm? What's their decision? What sort of farmer are they? Now, what happens is the presentation of old data and a good presentation, like you said, absolutely covers that. But the actual results in that presentation. So keeping in mind that there is the ability and what we tend to do in our area, because it's a local area, we very quickly get a feel for what someone's numbers look like compared to someone else. But it's little things, and I'll just, and this isn't a plug, so please take this the right way, but um, number one criteria is who's who they're getting advice from. And, and if I can be even a little bit rude, um, two risks with lending to farmers. So 90%, it, they're industry-based, and if the industry goes well, or the industry doesn't go well, it's all based around the industry. Whereas with farmers, there's two things. There's weather risk out of control of the farmers. That's risk number one. But there are a lot of mums and dads out there. Of course, they're not the issue in farmowners academy members, but there's a lot of mums and dads out there that are still running the farm like their parents did and their grandparents did, and they're not necessarily got a business acumen and decision-making process around it. They're actually, you know, just farming like they used to be. And that concerns the banks enormously around their ability to be decision-makers. So one thing that impacts, so certainly with our clients, the minute they know that we're providing an agribusiness service and facilitating decisions, it's nearly like that's the tick in itself because the people were doing something. But it's not just about us. We, We, Anyone who's a Farm Owners Academy member that we're doing an application for, we make sure the banks know that. We make sure, and we ask these questions, where do you get advice from? What do you know? What are your business qualifications? We're trying to show the banks that the people know what they're doing. And they're they're able to withstand uh, risk and adverse things that are out of control. And so that becomes that key decision making in the bank as much as then because that is the hardest thing. That's what the narrative has to cover. That is the hardest thing to understand. Does that answer your question?
1: I want to bring absolutely it does, Jeff. I want to bring two of our members in um just in a minute, but one more question, Jeff, if I could. If making really good decisions um around our tax planning. And our end of financial year um, results is so important. And if how we turn up to the banks and how we present our business case to the banks is so important, what? Well, how important is it that our farmers have financial literacy skills?
0: Oh, um, but it's everything, isn't it? Um, I, I shouldn't. The expectation, like I'm mid fifties, and in my era in a rural location, is literally all my mates that uh, came off the land, all left school at the end of year ten to go back on the land. That's what you did in the early eighties, and I nearly did (laughs) because I was from the land, but ended up too hard work for me. So (laughs) rather be in an office. the The point there was is that they went back, so their ability for financial literacy when it comes to education, it wasn't there in the foundations and they're doing what their dad did and their grandpa did. So there's nothing wrong with that. They're actually very good farmers and they're, they they absolutely, and some went off to Roseworthy or you know, ag colleges and everything else and applied their trade there and that's brought another layer, but it's still quite agronomic based, those uh, that training. And until about five years ago, that was okay. It was sort of okay because, hey, we've always got equity there as long as we keep inside the equity land whatever, but this is where it's changed. The banks are now looking at them as businesses. They expect them to have business plans. They expect them to be taking advice. So the question, the the thing that I say to a lot of your listeners out there, um, if they don't feel they're making good business decisions on their business, ask for help. And therein lies the psychological problem with some is pride, You know, my dad did it this way, and so on. All the under, even the subconscious part of it is very hard for prime producers to ask for help, very hard for them to say they don't know it. And the truth is, I look at, you know, tax, I bounce my accountant every week about things, and I think I know it all, and I don't know it all. And I talk to him all the time, and I get advice around me, everything I do, because I don't know it all. So, I'm happy to say i don't know it all i'm a work in progress all the way through but for some reason the generation of prime producer just can't say that therefore they can't ask for help they're defined about what they're doing is the right thing and they're good farmers which they are but they need to be good business people or they need to bring in people to assist them in that and that's the hardest discussion that we always have
1: thanks jeff i really appreciate your comments So, Jeff, I'm delighted to invite two of our members at Farm Owners Academy to join us for the next part of this conversation. Emma Strong um, farms with her husband, Nick. They've got an amazing and highly successful dairy farm just near Kiama on the coast in New South Wales and lead their industry. They're groundbreaking in some of the uh, innovations and improvements that they're achieving on their farm. Emma, welcome. Hey, how are you going? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And also, Mel Crockett, who farms in central New South Wales with her husband, Tom, on a third generation farm business that's predominantly broadacre cropping with irrigated cropping, sheep, and cattle. So, Mel, wonderful having you with us as well.
3: Yeah, delighted to be here, Hatch.
1: So, Emma, if I can start with you, Um, financial literacy. Where would you be without it? As a, um, as a business.
2: my business, I would pretty much be running a business blind. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't know how my business is performing, whether um, decisions I were making were actually helping or hurting um, us. And so, it's very, very important for me to be able to be able to achieve my goals and where I want to head.
1: Thanks. So what was your, what's your background and where were you on your financial literacy skill three or four years ago?
2: So I pretty much left school, went straight into running a business. Um, I did go to uni and did a business diploma. Um, But back when we started the business, my literacy was quite limited. We had, like we had budgets But the way that I ran it, at least, is when things were tough, I kind of put the budget away and just kind of didn't worry and didn't look at finances. I just kept going because it looked ugly, so I didn't want to look at it anymore. And equally, when times are good, well, I didn't have to worry, so we just kept plodding along as well. So they were there, I had a budget there, but I wasn't really utilizing it.
1: And so how would you describe your skill in this area now? I see you as the CFO to a, a really successful and growing dairy business on the coast. Um, how, is, how would you describe your skill set now?
2: It's huge dramatically. Um, now pretty much in all our decisions we make, we always come back to the budget and we always forecast our budget a few years out to see where we're heading and matching it up with our goals and what we're wanting to achieve. Um, We use our budgets every month. We go back through with getting paid every month. Um, We're going back through every month and looking at our budget. We do a budget 12 months out now, and we then compare what we would forecasted month to month to our actuals. And then we also utilise that budget that that we created for the start of the financial year, and we modify that as the season goes on to then... um, be able to deal with any changes that happens with the seasons or things that pop up, so that we can keep staying on track and make adjustments where we need to.
1: So I think you were part of, or you went through the farm financial framework training a few years ago. How important was that to help you get that lift in your skills?
2: A huge. It really two like things that really pinpointed for me was just that importance of monitoring my cash flow regularly and every month. Um, so I knew if I for us, as as I said, being paid monthly, if I left it for a few months, it was too late to make the changes that I needed to make. So for us, it's so, it's so important to be monitoring that every month to make sure where we are sitting based on our budget. Um, and the other important thing that I really took away from that is how much a small change in your income, how much greater that um impacted your bottom line than any changes or the same percentage change to your costs. And so for me, we now look heavily on our income first before we try and start making changes with our expenses um, because that makes such a bigger difference and impacts the bottom line so much more than any other changes to
1: expenses. A great distinction, Emma. Thank you. And I know that you track KPIs or um, key metrics across your operations so that you can pull levers to drive production and therefore drive revenue. I know you're right across um, the costs that you incur every week and every month. Um, how important is it to be across those key ratios and, and to be looking at those in real time?
2: It makes it's, It is really important. It allows us to, we've got targets for each of our big, I guess, expenses. So things like RM and and labor and feed. Feed's probably our biggest expense here. So um, by monitoring that regularly and seeing where our targets are and seeing how much we're differing from that target um will enable us to make better decisions with going like going forward what changes we need to put in place to get back in line or hopefully they're under anyway so we're better performing but um but yeah it just allows us to really see where our business is and how we're on track for where we're wanting to head.
1: Am I- an expansion step, let's say that you're looking at a really significant expansion step over the next few years. Yep. How would you go about that? And how confident are you that you could now go to your bank with a strong track record, with strong financial acumen, um, present to the bank and get a favourable outcome for support if you needed it on a growth step?
2: I think now yeah, because we've got a few years behind us, that helps us that we've got the track record now to be able to go to a bank. So that will help us then with an expansion, um, to actually have the track record and be able to prove ourselves. Then going forward um, with us being able to do budgets if you use out now um, allows us to see exactly where we're heading, where our ensure our bank where we're heading and what we're trying to, what where goals are we wanting to hit. Um, and gives our bank a much better understanding of where we've come from and where we're wanting to head. Um, So it gives us a lot more rounded, um, as opposed to just the one year, gives us a lot more rounded understanding of, yeah, where we are and who we are and what we can and have achieved and what we want to achieve.
1: How have your relationships with your accountant and your bank changed sort of then, three or four years ago, to now? And how much more confidence do you and Nick feel around um, your reality and where you're off to?
2: So now when we go to the accountant, or before we went to the accountant, we went there for them to tell us how we'd went in the last financial year, which was normally a good 12 months old. Um, when Now we are pretty much going to them a few months after the end of financial year. And we already know how, how we've performed and we're telling them how we're what our forecast is for the next 12 months or the next two years. Um so now it's more about not so much about how wanting them to tell us how we've gone, it's more about okay, great, we've done that, let's where we're we going now. So it's more forward planning now than um them telling us.
1: Yeah. And with your bank?
2: Um with our bank. Um same sort of thing. So for now, it's we're more going to them, yeah, wanting growth opportunities and looking at where we can keep keep expanding our business. And um, same sort of thing. We're, we're going to them with, with our performance, with our KPIs that we're wanting to hit the next, you know, 12 months, the next 2 years, 24 months. So now we're just a lot more all over how the business is performing on a financial level.
1: You're wonderful. Jeff, um, have you got any comments or questions on or for Emma or on anything that she's shared? Um,
0: No. Well, the the two observations Emma knows the importance of knowing um, her information, uh, especially in the future, as in uh, growth plans. uh, Historical financials are great to see where you've been, but they only justify where you're going to go. The other thing that um, Emma didn't say it, but I got it clearly in the way she was saying is um especially the early discussion in the bank, she also has an awareness of um she's got to please the bank. She's got to understand what the bank are looking for. And whilst they are assessing the data, you know, they're they're looking to be safe. They're looking, you know, and if you if you understand what someone's after, um, and even keeping the KPIs and everything out of it, just someone's after, they want to know that Emma knows what she's doing. And she knows that. That's my observation of Emma's comment there.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Emma, what you and Nick have achieved over the last few years has been absolutely inspiring. It's been wonderful to watch your journey and to see how your decision-making has underpinned really significant growth. And also, and importantly, the way in which you've navigated, I think, three floods this year. Um, That's been a huge sort of short-term adversity and impact, but I guess given the confidence that you have around your business and its numbers, just the resilience with which you've arrived into that adversity, handled it, and then continued to move forward and grow is just a real credit to you both. So thank you and well done. Thank you. Emma, really appreciate your time. I'm mindful that you've got to race off and look after a, a young one and and you get screaming yeah. <laughs> <You> screaming. <straight laughs>
2: No, she's a lake.
1: <laughs> that is a lake. Congratulations. Thanks Good for your job. time, everyone. Really appreciate you being um, on Profitable Farmer with us.
2: Perfect. Thank you. Bye, Emma. See ya.
1: So, Mel, if I can come to you now, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. Would you mind even giving us a bit of your backstory? Um, I think you've been an agronomist and you've got some corporate background um that might have been where financial literacy and and your skill set in this area started um would you mind just sharing your backstory before you arrived um to the farm
3: yeah absolutely so um i'm an agronomist and previously worked um for a corporate farm where you know, it was very important to keep a lot of records and be accountable for our spending um and and make accurate budgets and and keep to those budgets. So I guess those skills carried forward into when my husband and I took over the day-to-day running of our family farm. Um, so in our business, I've always kept a lot of records and I've had a lot of data, but I was never quite sure what to do with it and what that next step was um, to how to turn that into useful information. So I had the desire and I had the information, but I probably just lacked those skills um, and the information in in what to do next with that data
1: so similar question for Emma three or four years ago you had a skill set in this area um but it was the how to apply it to our farm situation that was the gap is that fair
3: yeah absolutely and and what did it even mean you know what what did you compare it to and and how did you benchmark that um to to turn it into valuable
1: information and so Mel what about now if we if we look at your financial acumen and your um approach to to financial con- control for your farm how would you describe it now
3: oh i think um i think we're at the top of the game i think we do a really good job um our relationship with our bank manager and our accountant they're always um very appreciative of all the information that we that we give them. Um, so do you want me just to go into what we do on a month-to-month basis as such? Is that
1: Absolutely? An insight to that, I think, would be perfect for our listeners, Mel. No, thank you.
3: Yeah. So we um we do a monthly cash flow review where we compare our budget, budgeted figures to our actual figures. Um we have a quarterly meeting with the older generation on the farm to keep them in the loop of, of where things are at. Um, We do annual benchmarking. We set long-term financial targets, so one-year, three-year and 10-year targets. Um, And I think the most important document in our business is our cash flow budget, which is spread out over five years. So every decision that we make on the farm, we can punch that into our cash flow budget and see what that will mean for us in five years' time.
1: Yeah, Jeff, what percentage of farming families, do you think would have that at the core of their decision-making?
0: Well, I just want to say to Mel that I've got a job in RLS anytime she's ready (laughs) for her. Um, (laughs) um, Look, that's absolute gold. Everything Mel just said there. um, At the end of the day, when when talking about uh, the answer to your question is obviously top shelf with knowledge. The key message that Mel said is it's all about where they're going as a business. And Earlier on, I made a comment about what is what is the goal of doing the submission to a bank, and what do you write about? And what do you say? And my answer was, uh, you got to convince the bank you know what you're doing. Well, everything I just heard from Mel there is where would they rate Mel's business in line with other farming businesses? They know that Mel knows what she's doing, and she's showing that and demonstrating that, and the numbers then take care of themselves. So, very brilliant,
1: top shelf. Mel, leaders focus in the future. And I think as farmers, often we think that our future is outside of our control. Some of those risks that you mentioned before, Jeff, Um, was there a time where you felt out of control, Mel, and now for that system around financial management that you've just described, um, how much control do you feel you have now compared to then?
3: Yeah, look, Hutch, we suffered through the drought in 17, 18, 19 like a lot of people in in New South Wales and, and other states um, And you know it, it was tough, but one of the important things there was to to be on top of those numbers and and to have that information available to the bank when you when you're going and saying, you know we haven't we haven't planted a, a crop for the third year in a row. Um, but having that information in front um, gives you so much power and when the the bank knows that that's going to be realistic information coming from you too it's um you know they they appreciate that as well and um and they can take comfort in it i guess knowing that the information that you're giving is accurate
1: mel how many changes do you think your relationship manager makes before they send your um report or request up the food chain to the credit department of the bank
3: um look we we recently uh, our bank manager who we'd had for about 10 years um recently moved on and we we got a, a new bank manager about two to three years ago and just the background information that he already had from the information that we had been providing um just made that transition quite easy um so yeah, they they always talk about how wonderful the information that we provide them is and how much easier we make their job by having that and having that background information
1: over a number of years. Thanks, Mel. I, I talk about the leaders focus on the future and they design their future and they kind of take control of um, their next one, three, five, ten 10 years. You guys are doing that so strongly in your strategic planning, but also in your financial forecasting. Um, out of interest, Mel, how much confidence does that give to the older generation on your farm when you sit down for those quarterly meetings to bring them up to speed on where you're at and where you're off to? Do you feel like that there's more confidence and certainty from them in how you're turning up to them?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the implementation of these quarterly meetings that we're doing is... Um, is fantastic I think probably before that um you know no one quite knew what was going on whereas now it's a, a great time for them to see exactly where the business is at to ask any questions that they may have and um you know to make any big financial decisions with with everyone on board
1: Mel um how important you you came to the farm financial framework training with a skill set in this. But how important was that program in helping you fill that gap and and get clear on how to implement what you perhaps already knew into the farm business that you and Tom manage?
3: Yeah, so important. Um, And the important part of it too is having um, once you build up a few years' worth of data, so once um like I, I did mention before that I had been keeping a lot of a lot of data but didn't know what to do with it. so when I went into the farm financial program um I was able to go back and use historic data that I had to to give ourselves five or six years worth of of data looking at the kpis and all of that sort of thing. So I mean just so so valuable um, to be able to string a few years together and and compare the data over a number of years.
1: Thanks, Mel. Jeff, it's probably no surprise to our listeners or to you or I that Tom and Mel were our Golden Tractor Award winners across our whole community last year um, for the way in which they've learned and applied some of our training, not just around financial management, but around all aspects of business development. So thank you, Mel, so much for your time. Jeff, have you got a question or a comment for Mel?
0: Uh, no, no surprise to me, um the uh the award. One one thing I just picked up on um uh it brings in the word accountability, what Mel's set up there um in that quarterly meeting uh structure, you know, I, without getting too philosophical, um, you know, when you actually tick your own boxes about achievement and you know, gratitude and a few, you know, warm and fuzzies in the whole of life, to set up an accountable scenario of presenting, especially the old generation like they've done. It makes Mel accountable to be on top of the numbers. It provides her the opportunity to show what the younger generation are doing. Um, I'm sure the older generation appreciate the information, even if sometimes I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, but the, the whole point there is, you know, keeping that family unit and creating that accountability because a lot of people think accountability is to set up to be judged in a in a negative way, and it's actually a positive. You know, creating accountability is such positive, and and you know, there's the backbone of. um I'm sure what uh, Mel and her family are doing very well is is they're not afraid to be accountable to everyone, including their bank, their family, themselves.
1: Absolutely, Mel, like Emma and Nick, you and Tom have just been superstars in in how you've gone about learning all that we share around financial literacy training and beyond. Um, over the last few years, the results you've both got um, on the back of a couple of really tough years have been spectacular and absolutely worthy winners of our Golden Tractor Award last year. So thank you so much for your time.
3: No, not a problem, Hutch. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Mel. So, Jeff, just in rounding out, I've really enjoyed speaking with you about um, good decision making Come tax time. Um, and importantly, about how to um, take responsibility for our financials and make sure that we're presenting to our accountants, our banks, um, and everyone around our farm businesses very strongly. And how also we need to make sure we've got the right advisors around us and that we're not asking more of individual advisors than perhaps they're resourced and skilled to do. So, Jeff, always great. Having you on Profitable Farmer, and we're very, really um, proud of our relationship, and we're really grateful for the support that you continue to expend to individuals within our community.
0: No worries, thanks,
1: thanks, Hutch, for having us. I uh, I always enjoy it. Jeff, is there a final word of wisdom or or tip to send us on our way? Uh, look Just across all of this
0: discussion and sharing with this, and this goes into HR, IT, work um, health safety. You know, we're talking about presenting to banks, we're talking about applying for grants, we're talking about tax. This all is a level of expertise that the average farming family out there don't have. And the the key message I want to get out there is they're not expected to have it. Um, you know, I'm a business owner and I don't have it in in those areas i don't know the first thing about it or marketing or anything else but i employ people who do or i contract people or engage people or i get advisors to help and uh and that's the key message i keep coming back to is if you're going to run a good business present to a bank and show that you've got risks under control then you actually need to have those risks under control and and you need to bring in people
1: to help you if you don't know it
0: yourself and there's no shame in that that's my message
1: thanks jeff really appreciate your time no problems And so there you have it, ladies and gents, a really important reminder on the importance of investing in ourselves, in particular around this topic of financial literacy and financial acumen. Um, It's with that in mind that I'm going to give an unashamed plug to the Farm Financial Framework training that one of our founders, Greg Johnson at Farm Owners Academy, has dedicated 40 years of his life to refining and Um, Creating. It is a wonderful self paced online program that gets served to you over 12 weeks. And then you've got 12 months with our support to apply what you've learned um, to your business um, so that at the end of the program, you've had the opportunity to make the sort of changes that we've just heard Emma and Mel make in both of their businesses. If this is an area that you want to upskill in and get support on, um, the details for the program are within the introductory email, uh, introductory note to this podcast, and also available on www.farmownersacademy.com forward slash FFF. That's farmownersacademy.com forward slash FFF. Um, a slightly longer podcast. Wonderful to have Melon Emma join us. And as always, thanks, Jeff, for just how respectfully and thoughtfully you challenge us to be better at what we do. Take care, everyone. Thank you, and bye for now.